0: I thought I was gonna drown. I literally thought I was gonna drown. I was a younger younger man in my teens. I was was with a bunch of friends and we all I think had just gotten our licenses. So we were like 16 and thought we could rule the world and didn't need our parents around. We all took off to the beach after school one day. And uh, as fate would have it, there was a bunch of us teenage boys. We were friends, but Teenage boys love to have everything be a competition. And so we were trying to see who could be farthest out from the shore. And uh, we got into uh, some some waves that were a little higher. Pretty soon, some of us couldn't touch the bottom anymore. And uh, we started to panic. And there's probably three of us out there. And we all realized kind of at the same time, that we're in danger and we start swimming and swimming. And if you're ever caught in that that pole of the ocean, it feels like you're swimming, but you're not getting anywhere. And I tell you what, to this day, I'm not sure how we got out of that. Um, Maybe it was the, the the tide changed a bit or something happened with the energy of the waves, but all of a sudden we were able to get a little more traction uh, just close enough to the shore where our, the rest of our friends that were on shore could do this kind of human chain and help us all get out of the water. And I just remember standing on that shore, number one, thanking God that I was alive, but also just having a whole new respect for the waves and the powerful undertow that the ocean has in fact, even now, whenever I go to the beach, I try never to have my back to those waves because I know how powerful those waves are. I mean, certainly we know that, right? If you've ever been to the Oregon coast, you know, the pull of the ocean is heavy and it's very strong. And uh, And I've thought about other things in life like that, other things that pull us, other things that have power and weight. and And there are, powerful undertoes that happen. And one of the biggest undertoes I think that maybe we could start putting some thinking around is culture, secular culture, the, the, the world around us, this modern world that we're in. It's very powerful and sometimes with modern technology and life and, 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 and living the fast pace that we do, we can begin to be pulled in directions that we may not wanna go. And ultimately, for those of us who follow Jesus, we can be pulled away from obedience to Him, away from Jesus and in our secular culture, we're we're bombarded with you know worries and fears and anxieties, and and oftentimes it could lead us to moral compromise. You know you could put in there economics and 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 politics and sexuality and all of those things wrapped up, and including even what we're dealing with now with this virus. And and we can we can be tempted to just fall into fear, anxiety, and moral compromise. And we, we find ourselves praying like I do, Lord have mercy. How are we gonna get through this? You see, I think our church and the church in general uh, has this temptation and, and, and there's this sense of molding into the culture around us. And the, the world of the minor prophets wasn't that much different. They were Feeling the pull and the weight of pagan nations and, and other world powers and, and their own sinfulness. And those were dragging them away from the people, being the people of God that they knew God was calling them to be. Here we are in week four of our series, Majoring in the Minors. And we've been trying to unpack uh, some of the parts of the Bible or English Bible that are arguably the most unread or at least Misunderstood parts of our of our English Bibles. And we've been trying to see what is God saying. Not only did He did He say then, but what is He saying now through these prophets and their voices? Because we believe He is still speaking to us today. He is still speaking to us about, about justice and mercy and, and morality. And He's still sovereign over all, even during turbulent and, and, and difficult times. So what I wanna do right now is just pause and pray and ask God to speak to us by the power of his Holy Spirit, even here on this online format that we're in. Would you just, wherever you're at, pause with me and pray. Father, we come before you and we just humbly ask for you to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through these prophetic voices that we're gonna read today. Father, as we lean into this book of three, that you would speak powerfully and that Lord, you would speak truth and love and peace into our hearts as we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're looking at three books. Uh, the book of three, remember originally the minor prophets were all, all 12 of them were, were, were called the book of 12. In the Hebrew Bibles, they, it was all one book, one scroll, if you will. And uh, and so we're looking at the book of three, which is uh, another section of that book of 12. And we're gonna be talking about Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, Try saying those three together really fast. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Yeah, kind of difficult. So those are the those are the books we're going to be in. So I want to encourage you. If you've got a Bible, I've got my trusty uh, Bible here, and I've got the book of Haggai pulled up. So feel feel free to start finding that. If you have to use the table of contents, that's totally okay. We're not going to shame you there. These three books, about 20 chapters in all, they're worth your time. Uh, and they are they are powerful and, and it's it's really there's a call here in all three books for us to do a couple of things. It's to wake up and to listen and obey the Lord. That's really where these three are aiming for in all of their different styles and all their different formats. So remember, we, we talked about last week some pro tips. And these are pro tips that help us whether we're reading uh, you know the Minor Prophets or really any part of Scripture. These can help. And there's three pro tips that we talked about. The first one is find out what's going on historically. You know, what's going on in the world? What's going on with nations and and what's going on with politics and that sort of thing. So, so that's the first pro tip is find out what's going on historically. That's why we talked about even last week, and this is uh, uh, this is mine. I love this uh, study Bible. It's one of my favorites. It's got some great things in here. This helps you kind of figure out what the history is because there's there's notes before every book of the Bible. So that's, that's one way you can kind of have a tool for that. So if you don't have a study Bible, we encourage you to do that. What's going on historically? The second thing is who is the prophet and to whom are they speaking? Who is the prophet? Uh, Because that's important. And then who is their audience? Who who is the prophet speaking to? That's the second pro tip. And the third one is this. What literary genre are we talking about? And in the scriptures, we have all kinds of different literary genres, like law and history and, and visions and narratives and songs. And so what type of literature is it? And so that's a great set of pro tips to apply to the minor prophets. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna apply those to these three books. First of all, let's talk about, you know, uh, the first one is what's going on historically. All three of these books are, are, are coming at about the time uh, around the sixth century BC, and it's in the Chaldean period. And that would be kind of the, the world power that's, that's really taken uh, the world stage is Babylon. And so Babylon is, is kind of the big wig here. And these three prophets are speaking to the people, uh, that really the, the remnant or the exiles that Babylon released to come back to their homeland. And we, we, uh, we talk about the, the idea of exiles and they were kind of brought back to their homeland from being in Babylon and they're back, but things aren't quite like they were and, and the, the city's kind of in ruins, and the temple's in ruins. And remember, for, for the Jewish nation, the temple was a big deal. And it's in ruins, and, and people are kind of back in their homeland, but it doesn't feel like home. And they feel a bit kind of burned out, maybe a bit tired. And, uh, and that's kind of the historical context that we find ourselves in with these three. What about the second one there? What's our second pro tip? You know, who are these prophets and, and to whom they're speaking? Well, first of all, all three of these—Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi—they were they were likely priests. Now we don't know much about them, truth be told, but the way that they're writing, uh, even their tone, uh, gives us a sense of they 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 must have known a little bit about spiritual leadership in in their in their their context. So we think they were probably priests, and they were speaking to the community, trying to help them understand uh, that they're back in their homeland, and God God has things for them to do—important things. Remember, these people are coming back. And really, this kind of marks, these three kind of mark a time of of, of great change for the nation that was, you know, Israel. Now it's just Judah and the remnant. And, and they're going to make a transition here from having any kind of political weight. And now they're really... A more spiritual community, a liturgical community, and they would. This begins to show a, a change in the nation where they're going to be more of a, a community of the Jewish people, and so that's kind of the timeframe. And who is this? Is the audience here? Finally. What about the genres? All three of them are very different. Uh, in in uh, the first one, uh, Haggai, we get this idea of um, almost kind of a sermon, uh, a rallying cry to kind of encourage the people who are tired and weary. Hey, let's rebuild the temple. This is our identity. Let's get this back. Let's let's worship the Lord again. And so we have this mo- movement in Haggai. In Zechariah now, completely different. You get into Zechariah and you might be confused. In fact, we'll read a little bit in just a minute, but it can be a bit confusing because Zechariah is using all these visions and dreams and it almost comes off a bit like Revelation. If you've ever tried to read Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it comes across like that. So it can be a little bit hard to navigate. And then we get to the, the final book of our three, which is Malachi. And Malachi comes across almost like a teacher-student situation. And we would say almost the Socratic method. And the Socratic method comes from Socrates in ancient Greece. And the idea was asking questions. And, and really, it's kind of interesting because that's kind of a little bit of the way that Jesus and his ministry worked. And so we get a hint of that here in Malachi, kind of the last book of the three, also the last book of the 12, and the last book of our English Old Testament section. So let's let's get to Haggai. Haggai's our first of the three, and, and I've got my Bible open there now. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a little bit of what's going on, just to kind of get us into it a little bit. Just maybe the first five, six, seven verses, somewhere there. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, "'Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So thus says the Lord of hosts, "'Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in that, and that I may be glorified,' says the Lord." Once again, that rallying cry to get the people: Hey, let's let's. Things are not going well because we haven't put our priority being on on our Lord. And so, hey guys, trying to get the people fired up to rebuild that temple. And, and I love the idea that that God wants to work with us. You know, not only then but even now, God has these things He wants us to do. Yes, He's in charge, but He's wanting to work with us and do important work and so so Haggai's trying to get the people to to be partners with God and renew the temple and uh, kind of kind of restore worship really to kind of help them remember their identity as God's people you know there's international upheaval going on here and Haggai's trying to say hey look things are kind of crazy right now but let's let's remember just to 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 go back to ground zero to obey the Lord to rebuild this temple let's restore worship Maybe not like it was totally back in, in the golden era, but maybe make it, we can restore some of the worship like it was back when King David was around. And so we get this re, renewed sense of awakening to worship. You know, in a first read when you go through Haggai, uh, you get this idea of giving careful thought to our ways. You know, I think a couple of times there, even when I read it, it was like, consider your ways There's a sense of sometimes kind of a a sobriety when we look at what's going on in our life, what's going on around us. It's almost like a gut check with the Lord. Haggai is telling the people, consider your ways, put him first. Because look, the the reality is, in no matter what age, neglecting God hurts us. We neglect God, it hurts us even now, even for, for us who are followers of Jesus. And I love, just before we end, I love how specific the dates are. I mean, the first day of the month and this is going on, that's very, very specific, which to me is another reminder of how historic this is. This is real history that we're reading. All right, let's turn our attention now to Zechariah, a little bit longer, quite a few more chapters, about 14, I think. Let's let's jump over to there. And uh, I think you'll get a little sense of why it might be a little tricky sometimes to navigate. I'll just get into it a little bit here. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers, therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So your fathers, they 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 abandoned me, and the Lord is calling the people, return to me. Now, very quickly, I mean, that was very understandable. Then we get a few verses later and we're talking about horsemen and we're we're getting all these visions and dreams and it, it can be a little bit difficult to navigate, but Zechariah doesn't want us to lose track of the main thing here is returning to the Lord. Kind of like Haggai, consider your ways. Now, Zechariah is saying, return to the Lord. It, it It's very revelation, dreamlike sequences that you see in Zechariah, and it's... It, It's it's kind of fun to read, but a little bit difficult. And here Zechariah is still agreeing with Haggai that, hey, folks, we're back and we need to rebuild the temple. We need to restore our identity as God's people. We need to worship. We need to to remember to obey the Lord. Let's go back to ground zero. Let's rebuild the temple. See, the people were, again, at a low point. They're back in their homeland. It doesn't feel like home. And so if Zachariah, if we could boil his his, his message down, if, if, if Zach was here with us right now, he might just say, hey, turn, listen, pay attention. And there's language in here, which might be a little shocking, but it's, it, it kind of gives us a sense that God is jealous uh, for their and our full attention and our full obedience. Zechariah also, which is kind of interesting, as you read through it, you'll see some hints of, some things that Jesus is gonna do. Because you see, the people are back around the Jerusalem area. And now we know, especially if Christ followers looking back into time, we know that powerful things happened around Jerusalem. Here they are kind of rebuilding and and the people are kind of restoring the identity and they're restoring worship. Down the road, Jesus is gonna come riding into that town in a kingly sort of way, in a humble sort of way. And he's going to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this, not only this area important, but this time frame is so important for God's people. And in fact, the New Testament quotes Zechariah a bunch of times. It makes sense because we get hints of what Jesus is going to do, and, and there's hints in there about how what's going to happen here. It's not only going to be uh, one from David's line is going to come, you know, King David, which they've been waiting for this whole time, but one who's going to restore. God's people, and it's gonna be a blessing to every nation on the planet. That calls back way back in the Old Testament to that, that guy named Abraham. And God told him that your descendants are gonna be a blessing to all the nations. And it's all gonna happen around this Jerusalem area. And uh, there's hints all over what Jesus is gonna eventually do. Here We get God's heart here, where he's teaching us about obedience, uh, justice, and love. And in fact, Zechariah is going to point out you know what? Justice and love and mercy, those probably have way more weight than any kind of religious act we might do. And uh, so, very powerful. And uh, again, both Haggai and Zechariah calling people back rebuild this temple, let's restore our identity. And in fact, as they're doing this, there's almost this sense of defiance, right? Because remember, Babylon is the, the big kind of power at the time. Well, Babylon has been paying the bill for them returning. And they're going Babylon, a pagan nation is going to pay the way for them to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And as they're doing this, they're not only working with God, they're, they're kind of showing a bit of defiance against all the pagan nations of the world that God is sovereign over all nations. And God is even able to use pagan nation money to rebuild the temple. Just this amazing sense of of defiance that that, that God is kingdom building. and has nothing to do with the the, the powers and the empires at play. Wow. Well, let's get to the last one, Malachi. Malachi, uh, fun to say. Let's get to Malachi now. Last book of the Old Testament part of our Bibles. And I'm gonna flip over there now and just read a couple couple verses to get us started here again these are worth your time malachi let's get into this here's uh, chapter 1 the oracle of the word of the lord to israel by malachi i have loved you says the lord but you say how have you loved us is not esau jacob's brother declares the lord yet i have loved jacob but esau i hated i have laid waste So that's how Malachi gets started. And already you see that sense of kind of the call and response, asking questions, answering. You know, the, the prophets kind of doing this dialogue. And you get the sense that it's sort of like a, a wise instructor and we're having this conversation with God and how would God respond? And it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a beautiful thing. I encourage you again to read it. Uh, one of the, uh, the commentators that I like, uh, more of, a, more of a, a recent scholar, is a guy named Walter Brueggemann. And he wrote that these prophets, especially Malachi here, he, he's in a sense rebuking corruption, uh, urging sincerity in worship and encouraging faithful ethics for the people. Did you catch that? So uh, Malachi's trying to, to, to kind of call out corruption, say, hey, that's not good, but also urging sincerity in worship in every act of worship that we do, even giving, as Malachi is gonna show us, and encouraging faithful e- ethics. Sort of like uh, his contemporaries, maybe Ezra and Nehemiah. They would also have been calling people to the same thing. Malachi's message, which again is the final of the book of 12, you know, is really a deep summons to fidelity and, and a promise that God is not done with his people, that God is not done with his people. He's not done with us either, that God has a future and a hope. Malachi writes that to avoid the curse of God in the day of judgment and to live a fulfilled life, we, we must honor God. Uh, we, we've got to give him our best and keep our covenant promise uh, to obey him and to continue to walk by faith. Remember uh, Habakkuk last week, we, we read that the righteous shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, same idea that we must continue walking in faith. So here's the question. God is still at work for us now. What is God doing in your life right now? Is God calling you through the voices of these prophets to return to obedience, to return to Him, to maybe consider your ways? What is God calling you to do? See, I think He's calling us to action, just like all the prophets of the Old Testament did. And in the New Testament, there are prophets in the New Testament too, calling us to consider our ways. We need those voices in our life. What is God calling us to do? Is there obedience that you've been withholding from the Lord? Is there is there honor and worship that you've been doing maybe in, a, in, in sort of a, a half-hearted way? Is God calling you back to fidelity with Him? Maybe you need to do some business with the Lord. We can continue to walk by faith even in the midst of a culture that is, is sort of in the midst of fear and anxiety and moral compromise, even through all of that, the righteous can still live by faith. Every follower of Christ needs to, in a sense, defy the status quo. We don't have to keep going down the roads that everybody's going down. Look, if we want life that's different than than everybody else that we might see around us, suffering from fear, anxiety, and moral compromise, if we want a different life, we have to begin to walk a little differently. If we want that life, we choose to be different. We defy the status quo. We, we rock the boat. We work against business as usual. Rather than just being pulled here and there by the undertow of culture and secularism and, and this idea of moral compromise, we can, by faith, continue to walk with the Lord and go against the flow. And here's my only point today. And there's an old song that said this, and I have it in the back of my head whenever I say this phrase. But you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we trust and obey. It was true back then and it's true now. No matter what's happening, going on in culture right now, even with this anxiety over this virus, we can still trust and obey the Lord. It is always in season to trust and obey the Lord. So what is God calling you to today, this morning? What is he calling to you in your family, in, in how you're walking in life? Is there some way that, that you and I, and we as a church family need to change the status quo where we can stand up for injustice? We can stand up for against abuse and, 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 and speak to uh, people suffering with poverty. Is God calling you and I to be defying the status quo? And I think he is. And just like the prophet's voices, we don't have to be pulled by the undertow of culture. We can continue to walk by faith and to trust and obey the Lord. Where have you and I been neglecting the Lord? Where have in in our, our conduct, in our ethics, even in our thinking, are we, are we living by fear and anxiety and not honoring the Lord, not trusting the Lord? Where are we neglecting God? If the prophets could speak to us right now, if they were in the room, they might call us to that. Where are we neglecting the Lord? Is it in our financial life? Is it in our home life? Is it in the way we serve other people? Where have we, where have we been neglecting God? So the call today to trust and obey the Lord in all those areas See, these prophets were like uh, emancipated imaginators of the alternative. In other words, what could be? They were imagining what could be if we just trusted in the Lord, if we trusted Him, if we could let Him be number one in our life. And so today we can trust and obey. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just ask that you would help us to walk by faith and not be pulled by every force of, of the culture around us, not to give in to fear and anxiety and moral compromise. But Lord, we would consider carefully our ways and to trust and obey. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.